Welcome to Practical Christian Living. What is a fundamentalist? A fundamentalist believes that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, believe that he was born of a virgin, believe that he rose from the dead and is alive today, and whatever else is said in the creeds that we would go back and we would agree with, and that makes us fundamentalists. If we believe the words written by Paul the Apostle in 2 Timothy, that all scripture is given by God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, then we can stand firm in God's word being the basis for everything we believe, even in a day when more and more churches are abandoning the truth and the simplicity of God's word. With part two of our study in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, here's Robert Furrow. Please stay with us for today's edition of Practical Christian Living. The interesting thing is, Russia, referred to in the Bible as Magog, Iran, referred to in the Bible as Persia, have never had a coalition. They have, they have been enemies. They have never liked each other. They have never joined together for anything until just a few years ago when they have joined together in their hatred of Israel and now have a coalition to destroy Israel. And we have a very tense situation in the world today where Persia is seeking the nuclear bomb and Israel is trying to stop it and Russia is claiming to get involved in it and we might be seeing these wars and battles that God had said were going to take place around Israel forming in our very day and telling us that we are living in the last days. So, there it is. The last days, if people ask you, are we living in the last days? Then now you can say, let me explain to you why, right? Maybe you want to do a little research, look up some of the texts that I gave you. But when people ask me, are we living in the last days? My main answer is yes, because Israel is a nation again. God said it would happen before it happened. It was a prophecy. Never has there been a nation that wasn't a nation that became a nation again. God prophesied it was going to happen to Israel and it happened. By the way, one more prophecy. God had said that the people in Israel were going to speak a forgotten language. Did you know that Hebrew was a forgotten language? It was a language that was not spoken, and it's a language that our team that got back yesterday, maybe some of you guys are here, you just got back and they're speaking Hebrew everywhere. You're learning. You're learning Hebrew everywhere that you go. And God had said that it was going to be a language that he was going to restore. There's all kinds of prophecies about Israel, uh, those things happening. So it tells us that we're living in the last days. So... When it says here in verse 1, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons. Some are going to depart from the faith. This means that they are Christians who depart from the faith. It means that there are individuals who are Christians that depart from the faith in the last days. It also means that there are churches that once believed, followed, trusted in God, who are going to depart from the faith. It also means that there are denominations, not only churches, but denominations who believed, followed, trusted in Christ, and they are going to depart from the faith by deceiving spirits. 
There's a spiritual deception taking place and the doctrines of demons. Today, we are seeing that happen. Churches are rejecting what the Bible says. Churches are rejecting the Bible as their authority. Have you heard anybody say in churches, you know, do you, do you really believe the Bible? you really believe... Adam and Eve were real people. Do you really believe that Jonah was swallowed by a whale? Do you really believe that this book that was written so long ago is meant to be a guide for us today in 2012? And then they'll say, you know, I think it's got merit. I, I think it's like a giant analogy and we can learn spiritual truths in them. But as far as black and white and what we ought to believe, it's, it's not really in the pages of Scripture. They'll say things like this. You and I, we're all on a journey together, and, and I'm no better. I don't know any more than you know. We're all just kind of learning together. Uh, this is the whole emergent movement. This is the emergent movement today. Rod Bell and several others that are leading this up. They don't have any authority. They don't want authority. They don't claim authority. They're simply saying, we don't really know, and we're all on this together. But Jesus said, if the blind lead the blind, they both fall in a ditch. And the rejection of what the Bible says and the Bible as their authority causes them to reject salvation by faith in what Jesus did on the cross alone so that they do not believe that you are saved by Jesus alone. Jesus is a way to salvation, but by, all, by no means, according to them, is he the way to salvation. Now, Calvary Chapel is a part of what I believe to be the true and the real church today. We are only a part of it. We as Calvary Chapel are part of larger Calvary Chapel, 1,400 Calvary Chapels across the nation. I believe that we are part of the real and true church. But I also believe we're only a part of it, the Calvary Chapel in general. There are a lot of people who believe in the fundamentals of Scripture, that believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, that He is the only way to be saved, that God became flesh, that Jesus was God who became flesh or was God in the flesh, and that He died upon the cross, that He rose from the dead, and that He's here alive with us today. Because we believe that, because people like Charles Swindoll or John MacArthur or, um, you know, the, uh, the late J. Vernon McGee or uh, several others that we could talk about who are part of this larger church in general believe those things, that makes us, you ready for this? This is the way that the media categorizes us. And they say this word like they're saying the word, I, I don't know, puke or something. It's, it's a bad word to the media in general. You ready? This is what we are. Little drum roll. You guys got it? This is what we are. We are fundamentalists. Ooh. It's like those Christian fundamentalists. It's like they're saying vomit, like those Christians that vomit. You know, it's like we're a bad name to them. Well, what is a fundamentalist? A fundamentalist believes that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, believe that he was born of a virgin, believe that he rose from the dead and is alive today. And whatever else is said in the creeds that we would go back and we would agree with, and that makes us fundamentalists. And then when a church says, we're not fundamentalists, that says that they don't believe in the authority of the Word of God, that there are things about those basic truths of Christianity that they themselves do not believe. Now, there are seven letters in the book of Revelation written to, let me make sure I stay in the right place, written to seven churches. They were literal churches in Turkey. 
But the letters also speak of seven types of churches. We can find ourselves in those letters. We find Calvary Chapel of Tucson in those letters. I believe that we are the church of Philadelphia. I realize that almost every church says we're Philadelphia. He doesn't say anything bad to Philadelphia. So everybody, that's me. He doesn't really say anything bad to me. That's me. What he does say about Philadelphia, a couple things. He says, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon this earth. What else he says to Philadelphia is you guys have a little strength, therefore hang on. I wish he said, you guys have great strength. No, go out and win the day. But it's almost like he says, all right, you hang on. You got a little strength. Hang on, all right, guys? Just hang on and I'll be there, all right? So that's kind of the picture for us. I don't know that I necessarily like it, but that's what it says to Philadelphia. You have a little strength. So let's use the little strength that we have for what we can call God to do. But there's another last day's church. Not only is there Philadelphia, but there's a church called Laodicea. He says a couple of things to Laodicea. He says we'll throw them into the great tribulation, for one thing. He says to the church of Laodicea that I wish you were hot or cold, but since you are neither, I will spew you out of my mouth. I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now tell me, for those of you that understand a description of the emergent church, what does the emergent church believe? The emergent church believes, well, I, I, I don't know what I believe. That's what the emergent church believes. I don't, I don't know. We believe everybody's saved. We believe love wins in the end. Love wins was the name of one of Rod Bell's books. We believe in universalism. We believe it's more important to light a candle and to be spiritual and to feed the hungry and to take care of people than to kind of have believe in that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Now, I believe we ought to feed people. I believe we ought to feed the hungry. You guys know that. You've been around long enough while we've talked about our responsibility for those who are hungry, suffering, and hurting. I believe we ought to reach out to those that, that have AIDS. I believe we ought to reach out to the, the homosexual community or the, the, the drug community that, is, that has this horrible disease that has grabbed them. I believe that we ought to do all those things, but that's not what saves us. Those are only identifying markers that show that we have faith in Christ. When they use those as means of salvation, then, well, it's dece a deceiving spirit. Never does the Bible say, do these things and you'll be saved. And so, the emergent church, I took Lisa and Chris, my youngest, on vacation to San Diego. We heard that jars of clay were going to be playing at one of the Calvary chapels in San Diego. A friend of mine's a pastor there, so we decided to go to the concert, just anonymously. Let's just go show up. So we went to the concert and I was guarding the seats and my wife and my son had gone up to the front during the band before Jars of Clay played. Jars of Clay were great, by the way. Everything that they said was awesome, they were great. But there was a band playing before them. My wife and my son had gone up to jump around and you know, get into the music while I sat in a seat in the back. Now, when we have a concert here at the church, I kind of don't like to get too into the concert because I feel like people are like, look, it's Pastor Robert jumping around down there. So, so I just kind of like to... Maybe not really get so into it. But while I sat there in that seat, I started thinking, nobody knows me in San Diego. Nobody has a clue who I am. And so I went down to jump around with my wife and kids. So I'm down there. You know, I don't know what I was at the time, 48, 49-year-old guy. I'm down there with all the kids. I'm having a great time. But then the guy stops and he starts to talk. He should have just played. His music was all right. He started to talk and he said, listen, I, you know, I know a lot of people are trying to tell you what's right or wrong or about Jesus, but I want to tell you, I don't really know. And again, the needle fell off the record. What? 
And he started to talk about this is a journey, the emergent movement. This is a journey and we don't all know where we're going and no one's here to tell us where to go or what to do and we don't all really know. Now, two things are happening in me. Number one, I'm in my friend's church. He's, I, I know the pastor of the church. He's a friend. And I'm looking for stairs for the stage. How can I get up there to, you know, get a microphone and stop this? The second thing is I just want to raise my hand. I know. He says, nobody knows. I know. Let me share it. To all these people that are here, I know. That was my first one-on-one -on -one or first personal experience with someone in the emergent church and this whole kind of, we don't really know. We don't, and, and even Rod Bell's book, Love Wins, he presents this idea that everybody's going to get saved in the end. You don't have to receive Jesus as your Savior. Eventually, love is going to win, and he's going to win everybody, and nobody's going to go to hell. Everybody's going to win. So then Rod Bell's being interviewed, and they say, well, do you believe in universalism then? That's the name of the theology that believes that everybody's going to be saved. And, and Rod Bell goes, well, no, I don't know. I never said I believed in universalism. I was just presenting it. So in other words, he didn't take a stand. He goes, I just wrote about it in the book. I don't know what I believe. I don't know if I believe it or not. That's the emergent church. Encapsulated, that's it. They don't know what they believe. They're just kind of like, I don't know. We just know that you fundamentalists aren't right. We just know that you people that believe that you have to have a relationship with Jesus in order to be saved aren't right. And that the only way, to, they just know that. And so isn't it a perfect description of Laodicea when he says, I wish you were hot or cold? It's kind of, I don't know. I don't know. Hey, the Bible says, I know in whom I have believed. I love that. I love that decisiveness. I know in whom I have believed. I called out upon the name of Jesus and he saved me. And I believe that he can save you as well. And Jesus said, I wish you were hot or cold, but since you're neither, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. And then he went on to say to Laodicea, you guys believe that you are clothed, that you're rich, that you see, but really in reality, you are poor, blind, miserable, and naked. You guys don't have anything, but you think you've got it. Again, a perfect description of what is called the emergent church today. They believe they have the answer. They believe because what they believe fits perfectly with the culture we live in. They've basically taken the culture and turned it religious. And now it's about lighting candles and bowing and praying before uh, icons. It's about being religious. And here's the crazy thing. Some of you guys came out of a religious background to come to Christ. I came out of a religious background in the Methodist church that taught me that as long as I went up and took communion in the Methodist church, as long as I believed in God, as long as I was baptized as a baby, then I was saved. Had nothing to do with a relationship with Jesus. And so now people are coming out of it. They come to Christ and now they're going back into the very thing that they came out of. It looks different, but it's the same thing. It's the same kind of teaching. And so then, and I think this is interesting, the last thing that he says to the church of Laodicea, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. He's reaching out to the church of Laodicea. He's saying to these people that don't really have a, I'm going to be a little insulting now, I realize, don't really have a spine as far as what they believe. They just kind of want to remain in that wishy-washy state he says to them, I want to know you. I'm, I'm knocking. Would you open the door and I'll come in? See, because even religious people can be lost. Jesus said that there were going to come some people who were going to say, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? 
And Jesus would say to them, away from me, for I never knew you. And in John 17, 3, he said, this is eternal life, that you know the one true God and the son whom he sent. So salvation is knowing God. Even a few years ago, I had a friend of mine, close friend of mine, who said to me, you know, I don't believe all this stuff about this easy, he called it easy believism. I don't believe in this easy believism of invite Jesus into your life and have a relationship with him and you'll be saved. What? You don't believe? What Bible are you reading? What does it say? It says in John chapter one that if you receive him, he will give you the power to become a child of God to those who believe in his name. It says in Romans chapter 10 that if you believe, you will be saved. And again, knowing Jesus causes us to be entered into heaven. It's not what you do that gets you into heaven. It's who you know. It's like an expensive nightclub. It's who you know that gets you in. The difference is, is that in an expensive nightclub, you don't have an opportunity to know those people. You, everyone, from the greatest to the least of us, has an opportunity to call out upon the name of Jesus and become close friends with him, to know him intimately. So the deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons are being taught in our day. And by the way, it's going to grow. It's not that more and more people are getting saved. It's just that more and more people are embracing the emergent church or what's going to, what the emergent church is going to become. I like what my wife said. She said, the emergent church is so yesterday. They've so moved on. It's always got to be something fresh and new, right? But there's more and more people embracing it, more, more and more. And they're going to look down upon us more and more who believe that the word of God is our authority. Now, he goes on to say that they speak lies and hypocrisy and they have their own conscience seared as with a hot iron. That is these that have fallen away in the last days. And then he says, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. In other words, these groups are going to become legalistic. It's not about a relationship with Christ anymore. It's about what you eat or don't eat. It's about who you marry or don't marry. It's about what day you go to church or don't go to church. It's whether or not you've been baptized. It's whether or not you're a part of this church. It's whether or not you have the philosophies that they have. It is something legalistic. When you and I have not been called to legalism, it's not whether or not you've done good things. It's not whether or not you've done bad things. It's whether or not you have been forgiven by our Savior. And once you've been forgiven by our Savior, then there are, there's fruit in your life. You have a desire to walk in purity. And we know that there are principles, spiritual laws that are out there. I'm free. Paul said, we of all people are the freest of all men. Did, did you know that, Christian? The emergent church will act like we're the ones who are really free. But in reality, we are the freest of all men because we have been forgiven and we have been set free. But then Paul said, but I don't use my freedom as an occasion for sin. You've got been given great freedom and you could do anything you choose to do. But he said, I don't use my freedom as an occasion for sin, but I use it for those things that edify me. Because Paul understood that if you sow to the flesh, from the flesh you'll reap corruption, but if you sow to the Spirit, from the Spirit you'll reap life. It's not about legalism. It's not about reading your Bible or praying or feeding the poor. Those are all good things, but those are things that we do because we love Jesus. We fall in love with Him, and therefore we're driven to do those things as a result of that relationship with Jesus Christ. He then goes on to say in verse 4, for every creature is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. 
I need to say this, even though I'm beginning to run out of time. There are going to be Christians you're going to run into who are going to tell you that what you eat or what you don't eat is uh, what makes you godly. That God created us to be vegetarians or you're really going to be spiritual when you get this certain kind of biblical diet. There's always people trying to make money. That's, that's my view of this whole thing. And so what they do is they go and they find out what foods are mentioned in the Bible. And then they put together a list of foods that are mentioned in the Bible. And then they'll kind of sell you that list. Or if you get, you know, they'll kind of give you a package that they sell to you about biblical foods. And they have people who are like, I used to eat horrible and felt awful, but now I eat biblical food and I feel great. <laughs> this is before, after. That's what they do. I looked awful before and now I look great, you know. And... Um, just know that this verse is the verse that speaks against that, okay? This verse is the verse that tells you that all food, it's sanctified by prayer. Just eat it. Enjoy it. You like a cheeseburger? Eat it. Just watch your cholesterol. And I'm not telling you to watch your cholesterol because of spiritual things, right? I'm just telling you to watch your cholesterol. That's all. We want you around for a while. Then in verse 5, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, if you tell people about these things, Timothy, if you tell them that in the latter times men are going to depart from the faith by deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, they're going to teach these legalistic kind of things, you will be a good minister in Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and good doctrine, which you have carefully followed. So we can see clearly the last day's church. We see clearly that Philadelphia is a large church in the world today doing the work of God. It's made up of a lot of different denominations, a lot of different guys, a lot of different non-denominational churches as well who believe in what the Bible says and use the Bible as their authority. But there is a church that is growing and it is becoming very influential that is teaching this wishy-washy, nobody really knows kind of universalism and it is fulfilling people's desire for religiosity, for religion, without giving them Jesus. And it is why I say it's not about religion. We want to be as, we don't want, we want to, we want to be as far away from religion as we can possibly be because religion never saved anybody. I am a pastor and I am not religious. I'm not a religious man because religion interacts with God based upon rituals. The only ritual that I, that I do is communion. I do one, you know, ritual. I do it every, you know, once a month with you guys, we gather together to take communion, but that's to remember it's not so that I can find some kind of favor with God. I'm just remembering what it took to have favor with God. I'm not gaining any favor with God through that ritual. So we're not religious. We believe in a relationship with Jesus, walking with him, knowing him, loving him because of the work that he did upon the cross so that you and I could be saved. Now I could keep talking, but I'll stop. So stand with me, would you? And let's pray. Father, we want to thank you again for your word. We thank you that you tell us that you have warned us that in these latter days, some were going to depart from the faith. And that we see that there are those who are being legalistic, that there are those who are, are like Laodicea. They just are not hot and they're not cold. They don't really take stands. They just believe that everybody is okay and just keep doing what you're doing and you'll be all right in the end. And we know that that is not your word. We know that it is not true. We reject it and we receive what your word says about Jesus 
We believe in God the Father. We believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. We believe in the incarnation that God became flesh and died for us upon the cross. We believe that he rose from the dead and that he is alive and in our midst even now. We believe that he is going to come back again for his church and that we are going to live in eternity with him, those that have trusted in Christ as their Savior and who have developed a relationship with him. And we thank you that your word clearly teaches these things. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.